Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoyed the message. Sweet. Thank you, Georgie. Well, like Georgie said, my name is Austin Johnson, and I'm super excited for this morning because we're continuing in our sermon series going through the book of Genesis. And specifically today, we're going to be looking at a story that if you grew up in church or you grew up in VBS, you've probably heard the story of Noah and the flood before. Raise your hand if you've heard of Noah and the flood before. Great. If you've heard of the story of Noah, there's a good chance this is probably what maybe popped into your mind or what you were shown as a kid. It's okay, it's Noah, it's the animals all in the ark. But if for some reason, maybe you didn't grow up in church or didn't go to VBS as a kid, and I don't think we do it anymore, but anybody remember when like cable was actually still popular? And, like late at night, you're like flipping through the channels. There's a good chance if you didn't hear about Noah from this sense, you probably saw a movie Late at night, probably the ending of it, but you probably saw Evan Almighty, or there's even a popular Russell Crowe movie that came out recently, not recently, I guess more recently than Evan Almighty, called Noah. And all these kind of narratives, it's this idea that really the story of Noah, it's not really new for our culture. Like whether you grew up in church or didn't grow up in church, kind of our culture has this idea of what happened with Noah and the flood. I think what's interesting is in Noah's day, it wasn't a new story either. So when you actually look at kind of the ancient, you know, cultures of the day, a lot of cultures had their own flood narratives for what happened. And so really, as we look at the story of Noah today, we've been going through the book of Genesis and looking at it, not from a Westerner's perspective and asking questions about, okay, when did this happen? What's going on? But from an Easterner perspective perspective. And really the question is not, you know, what and when, but the questions of who and why. We've talked about where it's not so much a house story, but this is a home story as we're going through the book of Genesis. And so, you know, as we go through this, really our goal isn't to try and answer the questions of when did the flood happen? Did the flood create the Grand Canyon? How did dinosaurs and elephants and birds and snakes all fit on the ark at the same time? Those aren't really the questions that we're trying to answer. Now, those are good questions. Like, there's literally a theme park, I think it's in Kentucky, that you can go to that you can see all of those things. But that's not really what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be trying to understand the story from the perspective of an Easterner, of what when the, the people in Noah's day and following that, when they heard the story of the flood, what would they have thought of? And really, it's the question of what does this story teach us about God and what he's like? So really, my goal today is actually to to show us that this isn't actually a story about Noah. This is a story about God and what he's like. And so this whole story, we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of not just Noah is this kind of cool guy who was friends with all these animals, but this is actually a story about God. And what does this teach us about God and what he's like? Because... In our culture, and even in the surrounding cultures, these flood narratives, there's kind of a common theme that most people would, would agree with. That, okay, there's brokenness in this world, and now God is angry. 
He's kind of pissed off at humanity, and now he's going to destroy humanity. That's what all the surrounding flood narratives of the day kind of believe, that God was this deity or this, these deities that were really angry with humanity, and he's using this flood to destroy them. But this story we're going to see today is actually, okay, what is God actually like? Is that true? Even the question for a lot of us, when we think about the brokenness in this world, when we think about maybe even the sin in our own lives, what do we actually think God thinks about those things? Do we actually think, man, is God like unhappy with me? Is he angry with me? Is there something that I need to do in order to restore a relationship with God? So I think the story of Noah has some pretty massive implications for how we actually view ourselves and how we view God. So before we really dive into the story of Noah today, I'm just going to recap what we've seen happen in the book of Genesis so far. So, so far in the story, we've seen that this is a story about God. And throughout the story, we see that he is the only one who always does what is good, right, and perfect all the time. It's God's story. It's huge, and it includes everything and everyone. It begins in the beginning, where we see God making a good and beautiful world out of unlivable chaos. He makes humanity in his image, and he gives them the job to care for and rule over his creation so it could flourish. And then humanity, they're given the choice to either trust in God or to trust in themselves. And pretty quickly, humanity thinks that we have a better idea of how things should run here on earth. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, choosing to live in their own ways instead of his. The Bible would call this sin. So humanity was meant to be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth with God's goodness and beauty and cultivating its hidden potential. But instead, it's led, humanity's decision has led to hardship, pain, wickedness, evil, and ultimately death is what's been multiplied. But despite humanity's rejection, we continue to see God pursuing his creation, looking for a relationship of trust, and promising that one day he's going to send a hero to rescue his creation from the brokenness of this world. So that's kind of where we've been, and with that, we're going to jump into kind of our story for today. So if you do have a copy of your scripture, I encourage you to open to Genesis chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to read the entire flood narrative. Steve, last week, did a masterful job of reading scripture, and there's even more this week. So I'm just going to kind of do an overarching read-through. So I'm not going to read every single verse. I'm going to read it in a way that we get the overall story arc for what's going on in the story of Noah and the flood. I think we'll have a couple of slides to help track where we're going as well. So Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, this is what it says. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I created, off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky. For I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. And these are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with wickedness. 
And God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. So make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. I'm going to jump down to chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. This is verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came, and the water covered the earth. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the flood waters. From the clean animals, unclean animals, birds, and every creature that crawls on the ground, two of each, male and female, he came to Noah and entered the ark, just as God had commanded him. Seven days later, the flood waters came onto the earth. This is verse 12. And the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 17. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. Down to verse 24. The water surged on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah, as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water began to subside. Verse 3. The water steadily receded from the earth, and by the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. Over to verse 6. After 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven, went back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. And down to verse 12. After he had waited another seven days, he sent out the dove, but it did not return to him again. The 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. And lastly, verse 15. Then God spoke to Noah, Come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, they came out. All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, and all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by their families. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. And that's the story of Noah. So there's a lot going on there, but what we see here in this story is really important how this all kind of starts out, which is at the beginning of this story in verse chapter, in verse 5. And really it's our introduction to God in this narrative. So we see what's going on in the story is that, like we said, God created this world good. 
He created humans in his image to, to do what? To be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth with his goodness, to fill the earth with his glory. But what we see is that that has not happened. Instead of the earth being filled with, with goodness and more and more of God's glory, it's been filled with wickedness. That's what's continued to multiply to the point that every inclination of the human heart and mind was evil all the time. And so kind of this introduction to God is this idea of what does God actually feel about what's going on on earth? Like what does he think about that? What is God's thoughts towards the brokenness of this world, towards the sin that's going on in the lives of of humanity? There's this idea that God is angry. Maybe he's kind of out of control. He's really frustrated with humans. But we see here in verse 6 that the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. So this story, like we said, it's typically from the perspective of God is angry, the reason for this flood is he, this divine retribution on, on the world. But really what this is telling us is what does God actually think and feel about the brokenness in this world? The sin in your life and the lives of those around us. He's sad. And he's grieved. Like there's a deep sense of sorrow. We don't see a God who's super angry or out of control. We see a God that's broken hearted. This is not how the world was supposed to be. The design was that this would be a place that was good, that was filled with everything that was good and filled with his glory, but instead it's been filled with wickedness. And so we see this isn't a story about a God who's really angry and upset. Man, this is a story about a God who is sad and is grieved by what he's seeing take place on the earth. There's an idea. Some of us may believe that God is really distant or he's absent. The surrounding cultures, that there's a deity that's distant and absent, but we actually see a God who's present, who hasn't abdicated humanity. It says here, The Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and every inclination of the human mind or heart was nothing but evil all the time. So God doesn't just see what's going on on the outside of the world, but it's actually telling us God actually sees everything that's going on inside of you and me and every person on the planet. Now, this isn't a God who's distant, but this is a God who's, who's personal and who's here and who sees what's going on in this world. He sees the brokenness and sinfulness of humanity, and his response is grief. It's sorrow because it wasn't supposed to be this way. It was supposed to be that humanity would bear his image to rule and reign and multiply his glory. So what does this tell us? What does it tell us about God and what he's like? Well, when it comes to sin, God's not angry and pissed off and out to get you. He's actually really grieved by it. When he sees the sin and brokenness in this world, he's not out of control, but he feels sorrow. And sadness, because this is not how it was supposed to be. His creation had turned on itself in a decisive way, and he's stricken with grief. We see here in this story that he is a God that sees his creation, that sees humanity, and he sees you. Not just the you that's on the outside that everyone sees, but he sees the real you. The, the inside parts of you and me. And he isn't angry or out of control. He's grieved and he's sad. It's just, I, I wonder this. You know, when we think about sin and brokenness, maybe things that we've done in our life that we aren't proud of, 
man, what, how do we actually think? What, is, what does God think about us? Like, do we actually think that, okay, I'm sin, I'm broken, I'm messed up. Like, maybe I need to do a little bit so that God, we can have a real relationship. Or do we think God's angry with us, that we need to do something to, like, compensate for, for his anger towards us? Or do we actually believe that, man, he's actually grieved by this sin? This is what it was supposed to be like in this world. And I just wonder, what would begin to change in your life, in my life, how we relate to other people, if we actually believe that God wasn't angry at us, but he was actually grieved by what's going on. And when we actually live in this world, like what would begin to change? What would begin to free up in your life? Like, okay, I'm not living this performance, like God's just gonna strike me down at any moment, but he's actually grieved. There's a brokenness inside of God with what's going on in the world. So it's really, I think, important to understand this story of the flood, it's a story about God. He's grieved, he's broken over sin. And it's out of this grief and sorrow that the flood comes. It's not because he's angry or he's out of control. It's going, this is not how this story was supposed to go. And it's out of this sorrow and this grief that the flood comes. He's deciding to start over again because sin has spread to all of his creation. Now, most people are probably pragmatists in the room, and you're still going, yeah, but he still kind of like wiped everybody out, right? So like, what are, what are we going to, what do we do to talk about that? But let's just think about that for a moment, okay? What, what have we seen so far that humanity's decisions have led to? Evil, brokenness, destruction, and death, right? Humanity's already doing that on their own terms, as they're choosing to trust in themselves instead of trusting God, they're already choosing evil, destruction, brokenness, and the end result is death. So really the question is, is God actually changing the consequence of their sin, or is he expediting it? Like God, is he actually changing anything about what they've already made decisions that are leading to death? So is he actually, is there anything new that's happening, or is he expediting it? That's already human's destination. So say, God, instead of allowing humanity to continue to slide further and further into more pain, chaos, destruction, and evil, God decides to start over, to step in as an act of mercy to restrain humanity's ever-increasing evil. And yet, we see that God does not abandon his creation. Now, we've seen in the story that God won't allow you know, sin to be undealt with, but we also see that he's merciful. As Adam and Eve, they're sent out of the garden, but he provides them clothes to cover their nakedness. As Cain, as he murders his brother Abel, he sends him out to be a wanderer. He gives him a mark to protect him. There's justice and there's mercy. There's this theme over and over again. And in the midst of the brokenness of this world, we find this man called Noah. Noah is in, introduced onto the scene as someone who's righteous, he's blameless, he's one who walks with God, unlike his contemporaries. Now in the future, we're going to see in the story of Abraham, this idea of righteousness that's attributed to Abraham, and it's all kind of connected to he trusts God. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. It's just this idea that he has a relationship of trust with God. That's what this idea of righteousness is. So Noah trusts God. But it also says that he's blameless. 
So we just talked about the, the effects of the fall of sin. It's come to everyone and every person. So Noah is sinful. He's not sinless. But there's this interesting word of blameless. Now I'm just curious because I didn't really understand what the idea of blameless was until I started looking into this. But so far in the story, every time something has gone wrong, what has humanity done? They've blamed. Yeah. You see, when something goes wrong, when they do what's right in their own eyes, they begin to blame someone else. What does Adam do? He blames Eve. Eve, she blames the serpent. Cain, he blames, you know, I wasn't around, just putting it off onto somebody else. We see for the first time, Noah is introduced as someone who is blameless. And literally, it's this idea of he's blaming less. He's blameless. Instead of putting off his sin onto someone else, he's going, no, I'm taking ownership of that. I am broken. I am sinful. And what we see in God using Noah is that God is not looking for a relationship of perfection with humanity. He's looking for a relationship of trust. He's looking for a relationship that, okay, while they're broken, God is looking for a relationship of trust. And we see that in the story of Noah. So it tells us, what does this tell us that God is looking for? Not just in Noah, but in humanity. Even today, what does this teach us about what God is looking for? He's looking for a relationship of trust. Not of perfection, but a relationship of trust. We see this in the story of Adam and Eve. What is God actually wanting from them? To trust me. To eat of the tree of life. Trust me. Don't trust in yourselves. And Cain and Abel, it's just asking, God's asking, would you trust me? Instead of doing what's good and right in your own eyes, would you trust me? And we begin to see this in the story of Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, David, and even on to Jesus. It's a relationship of trust. So God sees Noah, this righteous, blameless man who's operating in a relationship of trust. And this man and his family is where God will begin anew. So he tells him to build an ark made of wood. And this ark would be God's vehicle for protection, preservation, and the ultimate redemption of humanity and his creation. So we see that God is grieved over the sin of this world. He's saddened that this is not how it was supposed to be. And yet, he still chooses to pursue relationship with his creation. He hasn't abandoned humanity. He hasn't abandoned his creation. His mission is still to be accomplished. And it's through Noah and this ark and his family that God's mission will continue. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details. This is kind of on the more nerdy side of this chapter. But you begin to see, as the floodwaters come, we spend a lot of time talking about creation and the creation order. There is light, there's expanse, there's land, there's seasons, there's animals, and there's humans. What you begin to see in this story is as the floodwaters begin to rise, the opposite is taking place. Where there was light, now there's darkness. Where there's expanse, there's now no expanse. Where there was land, now there's no land. You kind of begin to see this undoing of creation. But then right in the middle, we see there's this idea that God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him on the ark. Now this story for the ancient Hebrews would be in contrast to all the other flood narratives in the world. And this is a really important idea that God isn't, he's not angry, he's not trying to destroy everything, but God remembers Noah. 
He remembers his people. Now, this isn't a lapse in God's memory, but it signals that God actively moves to deliver Noah from the waters. He's a saving God. Judgment is not his final verdict. He has a mission. Humanity's sin disrupted God's creational intentions, but God's mission will prevail. And so the flood begins to recede, but you begin to see the exact same thing. It mirrors creation. Where now there was darkness again, Noah opens the window, there's light. The waters begin to come down. There's now expanse again. It continues to come down. Now there's land again. You begin to see seasons, ideas, sun, moons, and stars idea reintroduced. And lastly, the animals and Noah walk off the ark. There's this idea of God is recreating something new that's going on. The floodwaters dissipate and the ark comes to rest on the top of a mountain. And Noah and his family exit the ark. And then we see that God hasn't given up on his mission. In fact, he does something incredible. He remissions humanity to the exact same mission that he gave Adam and Eve. They come off the ark, and what does he say? Once again, go, be fruitful, and multiply. But what's interesting thing here is that does God know that humanity is still broken? Yes. I mean, he says afterwards, like, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. So humans haven't actually changed. They're still broken. They're still messed up. But what we do see is God continuing his mission, and this is what's crazy. He invites humanity back into mission before they have it all figured out. Before everything is perfect, God knowing you're still broken, it's still going to be corrupt, but I'm still sending you out on mission. I'm still going to fill the earth with my glory. And there's this idea of, I wonder how many of us, how many of us are waiting until we have it figured out before we really join God in what he's doing? Like, man, I, I really need to know the answer to this question about when did the flood happen? Or this is apologetical questions. Or, you know, I've got some sin in my own life that i got to figure out before I can join God in what he's doing. But the story here is in the midst of humanity being broken, that God has a mission and he's still inviting us into this story. God's mission hasn't changed. And humanity's invitation to join him in that mission remains the same. And so here... I think it's really what we need to hear today is that God did not wait for humanity to figure out their sin before he came to rescue and redeem them and before he sent them back out on the mission of restoration. He sends a broken Noah with his broken sons back out with a renewed mission, not after they were right, but in the midst of them being broken because God's looking for a relationship of trust, not of perfection, but of trust. So as the church, and when I say church, that means like me and you individually, not just this building. As the church, we need to be reminded that God has remissioned us, that we've been sent back out. He isn't waiting for your sin problems to get figured out before he sent you. You've already been commissioned by God to go and to fill the earth with his glory and with his goodness. We don't have to have all the right answers before we go. So just wonder what would begin to change in your life, in the life of your family, maybe the dinner party you're going to, what would begin to change 
if you actually believe that you had been missioned by God right now, not just on the other side of figuring out your life, on the other side of figuring out your sin, but right now that God has invited you into this mission to join him and seeing all things be filled with his glory and goodness. Because this is a story that God isn't pissed off trying to destroy his creation. This is a story about actually God's redemption and restoration of his creation. That he has not abandoned humanity and he's invited us into a relationship of trust. So how's that going? Like how are we doing like walking this relationship of trust with God? So I think for a lot of us, we probably haven't received our invitation to mission or even a relationship with God because we still think God's angry with us. We still need to do something to prove ourselves to God, to manage our sin before we really have a relationship, before we get to a certain point in a relationship or mission with God. Our, our dinner tables are probably empty. We don't really know our neighbors, our fellow image bearers, let alone pray for them. So I think it's safe to say we probably haven't really fully received our mission. And as I was praying this week, it's kind of the story of Noah that, man, this isn't a story about God being angry and destroying humanity. This is a story about God's grief. That when he looks at the world, he's, he's grieved by the brokenness and the sin. That's how, what God feels about what's going on here. And he's continued and he's committed to preserving humanity. Then he sends them back out on mission. And my friend Caesar encouraged me to meditate on the story of the prodigal son in light of this story of Noah. As I began to meditate on it, there was this kind of powerful connection of, they kind of actually mirror each other a little bit. I mean, it's kind of the story of, of Scripture. Where there's a son who has a father. He has absolutely everything that he could need. It kind of mirrors creation. Humanity has everything that they need. They have this father that loves them, has invited them into a relationship. And the son goes, hey, dad, thanks, but no thanks. I think I know what's, what's best. Can you give me my inheritance? And I'm going to go. Sounds kind of like Adam and Eve. Thanks, God, but no thanks. I think I know best. I'm going to go live life my own way. And what happens to the son? Yeah, he, he ends up, his decisions, maybe he has fun for a moment, but it eventually leads to destruction, evil, and if he keeps going, it's going to lead to death, which is what we see is happening in the story of Noah. It's been happening in the story of humanity. Humanity's decisions have been leading more and more towards death. We see the son. He ends up in this place. He's, he's like an isolated slave. Like he's working for this random guy feeding pigs. And then he has kind of this realization that the people that work for my dad eat better than I do. And this is what this really began to hit me. His, he places his hope in becoming an indentured servant of his father. And so he comes home, and he's going to ask his dad, can I just be an indentured servant, just like the other servants? But there's this beautiful picture, and I think for so many of us, when we think about the brokenness and sin of our lives, I think a lot of people know we're broken, but we feel isolated, we feel enslaved and trapped to what's going on in our world and our lives. But for so many of us, I just wonder, has our hope been placed in becoming an indentured servant? Of God. Like our hope is honestly, God, I, I, you know, I know it's going to be better than what I've been, but I just want to be like an indentured servant for you. But what's remarkable in the story is while they're placing their hope in indentured servanthood, 
God says, no. You're to be received again as a son and as a daughter. And not because of anything that you've done, but because, man, that's who you are. And the invitation for you and I and, and for Noah is God's inviting humanity back into a relationship of trust with him. Not of perfection, but of trust. That our hope would not be placed in just being an indentured servant of God. That just, you know, I don't want to be where I was, but I don't think I'm good enough to really get back to who I know you created me to be. So I'm just going to be an indentured servant. But this story is this idea that God's not looking for a relationship of perfection, but of trust. That you would come to me, that you receive the freedom of who you already are. You begin to live out of that. That he sent us back out into the mission field to fill the earth with his glory. And ultimately, we see that the good news is that there was one who did perfectly walk in a relationship of trust. That Jesus came fully trusting in God, who not only lived a righteous, trusting relationship, blameless relationship with God, but he had a sinless relationship. He faithfully accomplished the mission of God to reconcile creation back to the Father. This Jesus, who was the true and better Noah, he operated in a total relationship of trust with the Father and who had come to deal with our sin and our brokenness finally and ultimately, that we would not just be indentured servants anymore, placing our hope in what we can do, but the invitation to come, to receive once again who you actually are, and now how do you get to live in a relationship of trust with the Father? So the story of Noah and the flood, this isn't a story about actually Noah. This is a story about God. And it teaches us that he's actually grieved and he's broken over the destruction that's going on in his creation. And yet, he's committed to the restoration of his people, of his creation. He's invited us once again to join him in his mission. So this is really the question for us today. Uh, we do this often, 120 seconds. But this idea of what is God saying to you and how do you now get to live? And what would actually change if you began to believe that, man, I've been invited into a re-relationship of trust with God right now. He's not waiting for me to figure things out. He's not waiting for me to have my life figured out before I have a relationship with him, before I'm sent on mission. But right now, what would begin to change in your life? If you actually believe that you are free, that he's received you again as a son and daughter who's fully loved, what would begin to change in your life, in the life of your family and those around you? Just take 120 seconds, just wherever you are, just to ask these two questions. What is God saying to you? Now, how do you get to live? Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.